Sentire Media. Ciao a tutti and welcome to Venice Talks, a podcast series about Venice in Italy. My name is Monica Cesarato and I am a Venetian food and travel blogger. I'm going to put my insider knowledge at your disposal to help you discover Venice at 360 degrees. Each week I will be chatting to the people who really matter, the Venetian. So follow me on the discovery of his artisans, writers, fashion designers, artists, glassmakers, bloggers and much, much more. Come to visit Venice the right and sustainable way. You can find me on my blog www.monicacesarato.com and also on all social media. Enjoy the episode! Welcome back to Venice Talks, episode number 41. Welcome back to Venice Talks. As I mentioned in my previous episodes, unfortunately it is summer, so it's getting a bit hard for me to interview people and I hope for uh, autumn, so when September comes along, uh, we'll be able to get more people to talk to me. So another episode where I'll be talking all by myself and since uh, my main core is food, today we'll talk about food. First of all, I just wanted to announce everybody that finally the book Andar per Bakari, my book uh, dedicated to Cicchetti, the very famous Venetian Lidl snacks, is now available uh, in an English version. It's available on Amazon or directly from my uh, publisher called Editoriale Programma, where you can actually order a signed copy as long as you mention it on the notes when placing the order. Or if you find it difficult to find it on Amazon or if you find it difficult to get it from the, um, from the, ed- from the publisher, you're more than welcome to send me an email. I do have some copies here with me and obviously we're going to have to work out on the cost of the uh, shipping and everything, but I will be able, as long as I have some, uh, to be able to send them to you. Um, what is the book about? Well, the book was born about 10 years ago. And I finally managed to get it published last year. Um, it's a long story, cut short. Uh, it was a book I was sitting down for a long, long, long time into a draw. It was about supposed to be a book only about the recipes of Cicchetti. Um, then as the years went by, I decided that I wanted to also give some information on the history of Venetian cooking and also maybe... Uh, you know, just explore that side for uh, for the people. And then um, a couple of years ago, I managed through a long story to get hold of a publisher that uh, was very happy for me also to include uh, itineraries and to turn it into a food guide and not just a food book. Uh, and that's it. So a year ago, Andar per Bacri was finally launched in Italian. And finally, a few days ago, we managed finally to publish it also in English. What will you find inside the book? Well, in the book, you can find an introduction, so a little bit of history, or quite a lot of history, about Venetian food, which we will talk about in a minute. Then how to drink in Venice and what to drink in Venice. So uh, a little bit main, mentioned about the <clears throat> different kind of wines that you can find from the Veneto region. And then an introduction to the Cicchetti divided by fish, meat and vegetables and with recipes and also a little history of it. And then at the end a long uh, five itineraries that will take you through the uh, Sestieri, the districts of Venice, uh, 
you know, and you will be able to go and visit some of the most uh, typical, the most uh, historic, uh, the most uh, uh, innovative as well, uh, Osterie and Bakary of the city. Uh, there, there are five different kind of itineraries. Um, let me explain it to you very quickly. Sorry, I need to, uh, I wrote the book, but I can never remember it. Uh, <laughs> so we have a first one that is a typical evening in, uh, in the Bakary. Then you have a half day tour in the art of, of Venice. Then uh, you will be able to go through, uh, wait, wait a second, between Rialto and San Marco, where the most famous ones are. Then you will be able to do a quick tour as well. As I said, um, this itinerary touches all six uh, different uh, uh, districts of Venice. So it's spread all over the city. The Cicchetti, we will be talking about it in a minute, but um, I just wanted to give you um, just a mention the fact that if you want also, as well as writing the book, I also offer cooking lessons. Just get in touch with me. It's uh, through Cooking Venice with my partner, Arianna. And we do also the Cicchetti, uh, some of the Cicchetti recipes when we do the... Um, with the cooking lessons. So let's talk about Venetian cooking. Venetian cooking for many years, in my opinion, has been very underestimated, um, both by the media, both by the tourists, and sometimes even by the local themselves. So you all know that you come to Venice and there are many, many restaurants that uh, can be defined as, let's say, touristic, much less than it used to be. As uh, uh, I mentioned with Cesare Benelli of Ristorante Alcovo in a previous episode when I talked to him, uh, there has been a change in the last 10 years. Uh, if you came to Venice about 25, 30 years ago, yes, it's true. There was a big difference between where Venetians used to go and eat and where the tourists went to eat, uh, and tourists always got ripped off. True. This is true. Okay, we don't deny that. But things have changed, and i got to say we see less and less uh, tourist places and more and more authentic, or at least trying to be authentic, restaurants. Uh, they are not cheap. I'm not saying, you know, you don't, eat, you can't eat cheap in Venice. The only way to do it is to do vichichetti. But if you want to do it in a restaurant, uh, uh, it cannot be cheap for logistic reasons, because as you understand, Venice, uh, everything has got to arrive by boat. The cost of rentals of the locations for the restaurants is really high. It's probably one of the highest in the world. And also, nowadays, we have the added problem of the fact that there, aren't, that there isn't enough staff uh, because, you know, between uh, COVID and so on, people don't want to work anymore for some reason. And so saying all of this, uh, it usually will cost you, I would say, an average of 20-30% extra in Venice to eat compared to other cities or as you just go out of uh, in the mainland. But let's talk about Venetian cuisine. What's Venetian cuisine uh, all about? Well, first of all, it's about fish, it's about fresh vegetables and uh, some meat as well, but mainly is about freshness. That's all it is. It is. It, the main ingredients must be fresh, and then you have some other dish, um, side ingredients like herbs, a little bit of spices, but not too many, that will enhance the flavor of the dish. Um, the Republic of Venice became a great commercial power uh, in the past. It was the first to sell the seas, uh, the ships were built at the famous Arsenale, uh, that was a city within the city. 
and the, he fell, he, the first sail to the seas towards the east. Within a few years of the Serenissima, that's the name of the uh, Republic of Venice back in the days, became the gateway between the eastern and western worlds. Um, and with this, of course, what did we get? Well, of course, we got the exotic and totally unknown foods for the first time, you know. And this is what you need to understand uh, about the origins of Venetian cuisine, about the Venetian gastronomy. This will, uh, this will help you to understand why we have certain type of foods in the city that are so, in a way, culturally distant from the tradition of the lagoon. But they are, at the same time, so deeply rooted in our gastronomy because literally it is a mixture of peoples, peoples, people, okay, and cultures. That is, it is the union between completely different people from all over, you know, the world, the interpretation of one culture into another, dialogue, hospitality. Venetian cuisine was one of the first who confronted the cuisines of the world, that welcomed the secrets and flavor of other people. And he created with them an amazing and modern uh, cuisine fusion. What we now call fusion cuisine, you know, Venetians already did it hundreds, hundreds years ago. Um, if we look carefully at the history of Venetian cuisine, uh, you can soon notice that right at the beginning, it was strongly characterized by the presence of spices. Now, first of all, the word uh, spices come from Latin, species which means actually something exceptional, escaping from the usual. The spices that were used in Venice in particular were very perfumed and they were color powders that came from the distant lands of the East. And they brought with them the fascination of the new sensations. They wrapped in an aura of mystery and myth that is typical of things that are unknown. So we got pepper, raisins, ginger, saffron, nutmeg, cinnamon, and cloves. And they began to make their way into the Venetian cuisine. And they stayed, because we still use them, of course. They were using many dishes of the time, both for meat and fish and vegetables. And also they were used in the most exquisite sweet preparations. All delicacy, delicacy stories that uh, you can still find on the tables of Venetian families, uh, families today and also in the oldest and most authentic osteria and obviously in my book. Um, the spices were used back in the days in large quantities and because it was thought that they had a great, great beneficial power against diseases, especially those diseases that concerned the stomach, the liver, and so on. So the link between the gastronomy and the well-being of its people led to a very extremely abundant, almost excessive use of the spices, which fortunately, with the passing of time, has faded away. So you still find uh, uh, spices, but not all spices. Uh, so we don't, we use a little bit of chili, but not that much. We tend to use a lot of herbs, a lot of what I call soft spices, uh, like uh, as before I mentioned, you know, garlic, uh, uh, ginger, saffron, nutmeg, cloves, uh, pepper, and so on. Um, so Venetians, though, were also merchants. Oh, they were mainly merchants. 
So they were very astute men. And they immediately understood the particularity of spices, the fact that their exotic origin, the high cost, could transform them into a status symbol. They understood that the exclusivity of the myth was enough to make this commodity highly desirable and created demand instead of offer. So literally marketing, as we know it today, was practically born here, as you can see. And just like that, Venice assumed the monopoly of the spices, not just of the silk and of the wines, I should add. Um, so it uh, assumed the monopoly of the spices between the world of the East and the world of the West. The precious goods arrived daily from the East to the Rialto market, where the spezieri, the people in charge of uh, uh, selling the spices, created the first packaging in history, the famous Sacchetti Veneti di Specerie Veneziane, Venetian sachet of Venetian spices. These were ready-to-use blends for all tastes, which were traded throughout the West. And here was born the mythical spice root, the exotic, precious and very wealthy root of the spices that made Venice very, very, very rich and very, very famous uh, even today. So, the fruit of the knowledge of these products, they were so fragrant and strong of the palate, and their introduction into everyday life was a spicy cuisine, which combined the sweet taste with spicy one, a savory taste with a sour one, a very particular international kind of flavor, uh, which I got to say uh, was kind of lost uh, until 10-15 years ago. I would say between the Second World War and like, uh, you know, the beginning of the 2000s, uh, where we kind of uh, limited the use of spices. That was obviously was due also because, you know, after the war, people didn't have much money. And then, you know, the introduction of uh, uh, convenience food, frozen food and stuff like that, things a little bit change. But now, as I said, because we are rediscovering our cuisine, spices are back uh, into the, uh, you know, m- the menus uh, that you will find uh, around Venice. Now, um, another uh, important element that arrived into Venetian uh, cuisine and that the Venetian brought back to Europe was rice. Um, rice was a fundamental element of the history of Venetian cuisine and it was so expensive that back in the days it was sold in grains. It was counted one by one. A very small amount could be used and it was usually added to thicken soups. Uh, after it was being reduced to powder in a mortar. Uh, It will take many, many centuries to be able to taste a real dish uh, uh, like a risotto, but let's say we use it for uh, do the famous risi e bisi, but also mainly to thicken the soups. Uh, And then we got another important story to talk about, that is the introduction of the arrival in Venice of bacala. Well, first of all, bacala. What is bacala? Bacala is stockfish, dry cod. It's not salt cod. It's not bacalao, as you know it all over the world. It is another thing. 
Bacala arrived in Venice in the 1500s thanks to a very famous merchant, merchant captain called Querini. Um, the gentleman was stationed in Crete because Crete back in the days was part of the territories of Venice because remember that Venice at one stage extended all the way to Milan nearly, all the way to Austria, all the way to Trieste, all the what we call now the ex-Yugoslavia, so the eastern uh, coast of the Adriatic, uh, you know, where Slovenia, Croatia and so on were. Macedonia, Albania, parts of Turkey, parts of Greece and the island of Cyprus were under the control of Venice for centuries. And of course, uh, uh, Mr. Querini was stationed in Crete, was due to go for business uh, uh, to the British Channel. But once he got there, unfortunately, his uh, ship was in a very great uh, state, got caught in a storm, shipwrecked, and him and some of his crew managed to grab onto some rafts, got dragged for a couple of weeks around by the currents, and eventually ended up in Lofoten on the island of Rost in Norway. There they managed to and gone in there to the rocks for a few days. Eventually, they got spotted by the local people. They got taken back to the village. They got fed, you know, uh, Norwegian people, very, very lovely people, you know, very friendly. So everything they had, they share with them. Sometimes people say they even shared their wives. So very happy sailors, I would have thought. Um, while he was there, the captain noticed the way that the local uh, islanders used to use to preserve the fish. They used to catch a cod, put it on sticks and expose it to the sun for six months. Once he saw it, the captain quickly understood, you know, uh, what, that me that, what that could mean for Venice. So about after three months, when he returned to the lagoon, Guerini decided to take uh, the stockfish with him and uh, he presented it to the Great Council and the Doge. And within a few years, uh, the Venetian kind of started to like the flavor. Eventually, as the years went by, and it will be, uh, you know, more and more uh, introduced into the daily cuisines of the Venetians, when the Council of Trent sanctioned abstinence from meat for 200 days, the use of stockfish went sky high because, of course, you had access to fish all the time. So it was perfect to be consumed both on Wednesdays and on Fridays. By the way, stockfish, I repeat, not uh, so uh, dry cod, not salt cod, Lofoten is the only country in the world, is the only location in the world that still preserves it that way. They are the only one and the Venetians and the Veneto people, we are the main importers, exporter, importers of, of uh, this kind of cod. How do we prepare it? Well, we develop more than 40 recipes with it, some of which you actually will find in the book. We develop more than 40 recipes. The most famous one is bacala mantecato. What is bacala mantecato? Well, first of all, it's one of the main cicchetti of Venice. Uh, how do you prepare it? 
seem well it's not that simple actually <laughs> there's a long operation so first you need to take this labo code and soak it for at least 72 hours in fresh water changing the water every couple to three hours very frequently anyway you soak it for at least 72 hours to get rid of the uh, greasiness uh, the saltiness and to rehydrate it then uh, once you achieve that you boil it in fresh water of course uh, once it's white you drain it you remove the skins you remove the bones and then with a whisk you start beating it very very hard adding drops of oil and a tiny little bit of garlic and you do that for nearly an hour and a half until it turns into a very creamy delicious mousse like kind of texture like a cream okay and you slap it on top of a lot of uh, grilled polenta slices um now in venice of course uh, we didn't just have uh the cod we didn't just have rice we didn't just have the spices but venice also had an extraordinary territory that offered products of excellent and um it was in the 16th century so very late when the merchants stopped filling the holes of the merchant ships and the venetians turned their interest towards the mainland they reclaimed the land and the agriculture uh, they invested in the agriculture they revolutionized the territory and the gastronomy the lagoon lands of uh, Cavallino, Malamocco, Pelestrina, Lido, the island of Torcello and Sant'Erasmo were populated with vegetable gardens and vineyards. They were basking in the sea breeze, they were kissed by the warm sun, and of course, they offered extraordinary products. Like what? Well, for example, from Sant'Erasmo, we had the famous violet artichokes, which we call castraure, the vegetable base that is usually prepared in stews uh, that, uh, you know, uh, we see in all the Venetian markets. The land was rich in wild herbs, one of which uh, is called boragine and is uh, actually very good uh, fried. You had uh, bruscandoli, they are hop shoots that we use in many preparations, but mainly for soups and risotto. Of course, asparagus, yellow pumpkins, tasty radicchio, uh, white and round onions that we use practically in every preparation in Venice. Peas, sweet little peas, beans, green, brown, all sorts of beans. Now, um, and all of these vegetables are still available all day today, every day today, in, all, in the uh, menus of Venetian cuisine or if you go to the Rialto market. Now, another great introduction into the Venetian lagoon uh, cuisine was polenta that of course was brought over uh, thanks to the Spanish when they went to the Americas and it was introduced uh, as an accompaniment to very complex dishes because of this uh, uh, particular blandness okay it kind of balanced out the strong flavors uh, of course polenta was mainly white and not yellow uh, as the years went by now we also have a yellow one but traditionally in Venice it was yellow and uh, for many years uh, for many people 
past the second after the second world it was actually the only thing people were was eating and but that's another story because it caused uh, what we call pellagra that is was a horrible disease uh, that causes a deficiency in um, I think I can not remember in, in what uh, vitamin but is really bad because it, it, it can actually drive you mad it causes you to have hallucination and so on so it's very very important uh you can actually find out this if you go and visit the island of san servolo uh in the their uh museum of uh, the mental health museum you will see the uh the story of this okay now back to venice so what did we have polenta with well obviously with all the fish and what fish do we have in venice well we have sardines we have clams uh, that we call peverasse, uh, we have the uh, mussels that we call peocci, we have scallops, we have oysters, we have uh, skie, they are little tiny prawns that you eat in a, little, a single bite, we have a uh, gobi fish that we call go, which we make a fantastic risotto on the island of Murano. Uh, Burano, sorry, 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 Burano, 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 and also the now worldwide famous moeke, the small uh, crabs, uh, you know, that you are, uh, that you eat uh, deep fried and are very expensive and you can only eat them twice a year uh, during spring and during uh, uh, autumn. But what should you eat when you arrive in the city? Uh, you know, what is, uh, what do I recommend? Okay, so... Nowadays, uh, the cuisine, as I explained before, has changed. Is not uh, we don't use so many spices. We tend to use a lot of herbs like parsley, like sage, like thyme, uh, a little bit of basil, uh, rosemary, a lot of rosemary. But we is a very actually we'll say healthy cuisine because we do tend to grill a lot. We do tend to um, steam. Uh, we don't use many sauces on top of it, so it actually is. You know, uh, of all the cuisines in Italy, I think it's probably one of the healthier. Okay, so what should you try? Well, first of all, as I said before, the bacala mantecato. Mm, but, uh, you got to. By the way, the recipe is in the book, so don't worry if you cannot try. Another very famous dish that you should definitely try is sarde in saor. Saor comes from the Venetian savor that means flavor and it used to be the way the venetian used to use to preserve the food not just fish like the sardines because sardines or means sardines in uh, sweet and uh, sweet and savor let's say uh sweet and sour but it was uh, uh, also used for meat and vegetables what's the basic recipe well whichever ingredient you want to preserve let's say the sardines you take it you dip it in flour, then you dip, uh, fry it, put it on a side, take double the amount in weight of white onions, slice it very, very thinly, and then you braise it with olive oil, white wine vinegar, and white wine. And you do that for about an hour and an hour and an hour and a half until the onions caramelize, but without turning brown. They got to remain white, so you do it very, very, very slowly. Once this is achieved, what you take is, uh, you take your ingredient, you put it on a dish, you cover it with onions, then another uh, layer of uh, uh, ingredient, then another layer of onion, until you finish with a lot of onions, and you put the dish in the fridge for 48 hours. What happens with the sardines is the onions draw out completely the um, greasiness, 
and the heaviness and the fishiness of the sardines and turns it into a very mild dish. Now, this preparation was also used by the fishermen on boats because, of course, they had a lack of vitamin C, the onions, you know, they suffer from scurvy. So the onions gave the vitamin C and the vinegar and the wine killed the bacteria. Another lovely dish that is not always available, but if you can find it, it's really, really nice, is risi bisi, that is rice and peas, that is a mix between a soup and a risotto. It's neither, uh, as I repeat, it's, some, it's a mix. So you cannot describe it as a soup, but you cannot even describe it as a risotto. And it was a pride and joy of every good Venetian housewife. It was, back in the days, the Venetian dish par excellence. It was served during the banquets that was given by the Doge, and today is a dish for the Feast of San Marcos. San Marco, another beautiful dish, and this definitely you will find in every restaurant, is bigoli in salsa. A very easy dish, okay, if you like fish. Uh, again, the recipe is uh, in the book, I think, yeah. Uh, so bigoli in salsa, how do you prepare that? Simple. Uh, you take uh, the, uh, just some uh, um, salted preserved anchovies, you uh, fry them very quickly. Well, first of all, you fry some uh, onions that you have chopped very, very finely with some oil. With some oil. Then you add, once a very, 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 uh, you s kind of, uh, what do you call it, you stew them very very soft then you add your, your bigoli you do that for a you reduce it for about 10-15 minutes with a little bit of white wine and that's it that is your sauce once it becomes like a cream that's your sauce you cook your bigoli that is the venetian style uh, the venetian spaghetti you cook that and then you mix it with your sauce and you serve them very very easy another lovely dish that you should try is cuttlefish in ink either on the on their own or in a, a risotto or in a pasta they are amazing of course the crab as i said polenta eschie so the tiny little prawns that are usually boiled and then served on a creamy polenta so not a grilled polenta but uh, very soft now, uh, another episode will be dedicated definitely to Venetian sweets, to the introduction of sugar in Venice and the history of sugar and uh, the Venetian cuisine. But for today, I think I said enough. I repeat, you can find the book on Amazon, look for the English version or directly from my uh, publisher. I will give you the details on the blog post with the links. If you're having trouble, please send me an email and if we can, I probably would like to try to send it to you. We can try to do it that way. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I apologize again for doing this on my own as usual. Uh, but hopefully when the season, the high season finishes in Venice, I'll manage to get uh, more interviews for you. Uh, have a lovely week and I hope to hear from you all. And please uh, do, not, do not hesitate to send me messages, comments and stuff and tell me who you want me to uh, interview, which particular episode you loved. Don't forget to follow me on social medias and spread the world of how beautiful Venice is. Ciao ciao everybody!
Thank you again for listening. If you want to book a food tour or a cooking experience with me, you can find me on my blog www.monicacesarato.com or at cookingvenice.com and also on all social medias with the handle at Monica Cesarato and at Cooking Venice. Feel free to leave a comment or write to info at monicacesarato.com for more information about the people featuring the podcast or Venice. Bye-bye! Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.